This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For all NBA warriors, you are now tuned into Golden Spaces with Matt and Justin. What up, what up? We're back. It's Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original pod, an Odyssey original podcast. Look at me. Um, I'm so used to saying with Justin and Nat, and that is the typical host, but we have a special co-host today, Charlie Cummings. You need to go back and listen to the first segment if you didn't catch it to hear everything about him, but he's great, and I'm so happy he's joining me today. Um, We've been chopping it up about this uh, Cleveland Cavaliers game last night that the Warriors matched up with. They won by five. Apparently, Justin predicted that. See, you got profits on this uh, uh, podcast. So, um, great, great game. Really fun game. The Warriors brought intensity last night. They had energy. Um, They were just really focused. They wanted it. You can tell they wanted it to win it. And so... Great game. And so many different players contributed to it. So many different players. And so we spent a lot of time already talking about Jordan Poole in the first segment. But he, I would say, if you're looking at, like, everyone's contributions, obviously he was the number one, um, just in terms mm-hmm. of everything that he did. Best best, best player last night. But let's get into some of the other guys who really helped in that victory. Um, let's start with... Ty Jerome, I know he's someone who you're very big on. You think, now, I want to know if I understand this correctly. Do you believe, I know you ultimately believed he may get signed, but is that this year? Do you think he should get that final roster spot? Or are you just saying, like, in general? Um, I think this year, like, he should be the guy that they convert. And I think that's for a couple reasons. One, we've seen... You know, I I know that Steve Kerr really relies on Anthony Lamb as a rotation guy, but we've seen Patrick Baldwin make some contributions. You know, Jermichael Green is back, and, you know, they're not all one-to-one comparable players, but I think you have more depth at the forward spots now that you're comfortable with. And I think just having, like, that fifth guard that can come in, take offensive responsibility, he can legitimately generate for himself and for others – and he still holds up defensively. Like, he's, he's like a really strong. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unlike him? Yeah. yeah. Everyone uh, knows who tunes into the show regularly. I'm not a fan of his. Um, but you did a great thread on him and some of his defensive lapses. Um, and I'd like you, after we're done with, with, with um, 
Ty to talk a little bit about how he hurts the team defensively because I think people just see his offense every night but I think it would be like yeah. a really good like education experience I'm sorry I interrupted you but let's, let's, let's <laughs> no, of course. no always always good to link up with a fellow Anthony Lamb disrespecter um but <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> so I think the thing with Ty that makes like Talking about last night, you know, the guy comes in and plays 40 minutes after basically just playing spot minutes in the last few games. Like, he got a couple DNPs. You know, he's not the more consistent rotation player, but the fact that he can just come in and be that ready and look that prepared is so huge. Like, he can just make so many big shots. Um, The thing that's so crazy to me, too, is, like, he has his athletic limitations. You know, he's not the – Jordan Poole type where he can just make one or two dribble moves and go right downhill, but it doesn't matter because his floater is so good. I know that it's like automatic now, you know, it's like that floater's going up. He's probably making it. There was, there was one last night. I think it was like in the third quarter where he goes, he goes for like a turnaround, like around the elbow and he just shot it with one hand. Like, he just completely drops his guide hand and just shoots the floater and cans it from, like, 16, 17 feet. And I'm just like, man, you can't you can't teach touch like that, and you can't let players that have that kind of skill get away from you so easily. You know? Yeah. Like, I, um, when I was in the Bay, like, I went, I got to go to a Warriors practice, and at the end, he was shooting around with stuff. And I think that, is actually telling that he's the player, you know, shooting with Steph, you know, at the end of practice. Um, probably bodes well for him, <laughs> you know, like obviously just like you're learning from the best, but also that like they're doing that together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guy is the guy is just a shooting and kind of touch talent that they haven't had in a long time. You know, obviously – minutes play a factor here in the total attempts, but he's still sitting on 50, 40, 90 for the season. Like that's just so much efficiency. Um, and you consider like, I feel like yeah, guys well, who, people like Brad Wanamaker and um, evil Steph, right? <laughs> evil Steph. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything about evil Steph. Cause he might pull up on me. <laughs> like he's known to. <laughs> really? Uh, Do you want to let the people know who we're talking about when we say evil stuff in case anyone doesn't know? <laughs> oh, man. But, um, yeah, I think, like, when you look at, you know, like, a two-way contract is not the guys you expect to contribute heavily. So when you can find a real roster player out of one of those spots, then that's huge. And speaking of those two ways um, – with you know the whole Anthony Lamb thing is frustrating for so many reasons. Like I, I know I don't have to tell you about all the off the court stuff. I would hope that we've discussed it on this. there as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and obviously that's disappointing for the organization. But Sorry. yeah, beyond all that, um, you know, I think I think I've tried to make it pretty clear. Like when I go through my analysis, I try to be objective as possible about all of these players. Um, and I'm good very you. deliberate. That's what's going to make you a good writer and journalist because I don't really care about objectivity, but <laughs> I mean, I do to an extent, but I don't like, no, 
get get that man off the squad. But go ahead. This is this is why I have people like you to balance me out. And Justin, you guys are much more fair than me. Well, and see, that's where I have. There can always be like exceptions to the rule, you know. And to me, you know, I'm like, if I have any sort of platform, I'm not going to use it to promote this guy in any positive way so you know when I see him like I I try to you know clip everything that I find relevant and especially for each individual player um but if he makes a good play you're not going to see it on my page that's just not that's not how I'm going to operate and beyond all that off the court stuff he's just incredibly frustrating to watch uh I think you know we've seen the offensive contributions here and there, you know, he can make some threes when they ask for it, but it's just so reckless defensively. Like we saw, you know, especially in that wizards game, like when Steph had to chew him out for the second time, he had just I wish he did not seem to be receptive to. No, no. And okay. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was I, floored by that, but go ahead. I forget if it was you or Justin I was talking about. I was like, yeah, if Steph talks to you, step one, shut up and listen. And yeah. there is no step two. Like, you listen to him. And especially because that was the second instance. Like, early in the first quarter, you know, they try to run, like, a screen action with Porzingis. And he's just, you know, grabbing a handful of jersey and, like, pushing the guy. And then they call it. And then, you know, like, in the third, fourth, whenever it was, he does it again. And Steph gets furious. And then also because Steve Coach called you out two games before that, then Draymond Green called you out the game before that as well. So you have Draymond Green, the best defensive player of this generation. You have your coach. And now you have Steph Curry on the court, which is a very rare thing for Steph to do. I mean, just the fucking audacity, yo. Like, I'm I'm like... I know this man, it's... This man. I we said last episode or maybe two episodes ago that we were not going to talk about him again. But I, I think what I really want you to help answer, because I think you'd probably be able to better explain it than me, is what is it about him? Because let's 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 take away the off the court stuff for a moment. Why is it that people think that he's the better two way guy and he's the one who should get signed? Why do they think he has so much value when in reality he doesn't? So I think that's where you sort of see the divide of, um, you know, I love, like, I love so many people who just have, like, the ability to, like, look at the game. And, you know, I don't expect everyone to go, like, crazy in depth on it. So I don't fault people when they kind of just look at the box score and see, oh, he had 12 points and, you know, he was like a plus seven. So he must have done something right. Um but it's the things like between the lines that don't show up on the box score that get really bad. And I think you saw, you know, after, um, after that Boston game, my guy, Joe Varai, who's just like the goat of breaking down these warriors. Yeah. I've I've had Joe on the legacy podcast of this on that two times. Like love talking to him. Great, great. Follow Joe, read his work. Yeah, at Joe Verai NBA, if you're not yeah. following him already, you've made a mistake. But uh, he broke down that, like, the Warriors have such a problem. And it's really a league-wide problem with overhelping, but they do it a lot. And that's the thing for me is, like, you see, you know, like, I, I hear people say, like, oh, he plays with so much energy defensively. But if you don't direct that energy to the right ways, like, then you're not being productive. That's like Pat and- Beverly. I mean, it's like all these guys, 
I, and I get it because he's actually won defensive awards. So people may not get it, but there, there are these Dylan Brooks. There, there are some of these players who are like known for being great defenders. And a lot of times they're not actually playing good defense and they're, they're fouling all the time. Um, but they growl and make noise and I don't know, <laughs> look like they're fucking doing something when they're not. <laughs> no, I agree. And like, uh, I think with a guy like Lamb, when he, especially that play that Draymond called out um, where they had the charge overturned uh, down at the end of that Wizards game, uh, they said so explicitly after the game, they're like, there's one guy on this team who is allowed to help off the strong side corner. And that's it, Draymond, and, no one else. And Yeah, and so even though he does get in and he makes the rotation and he takes a charge, like um, – it's not about the result. It's about like the process that he completely abandoned a shooter in the corner, just trying to intercept this drive. And I think that's sort of the microcosm of him on defense because he takes these incredibly risky gambles, like trying to make the big play. And he usually doesn't, and it burns them a lot. Can you explain why Draymond is the only person who should be allowed to do that and why? Yeah, so, I mean, just as a basic principle, like, if a guy is driving and you have a shooter stationed in the corner, you want that help coming from the weak side because it's a much tougher pass to make across the court to the other corner. So, typically, if Draymond's the guy in that strong corner, he's the one who's kind of allowed to have a little freedom because not only he's incredible with his positioning and with his rotations – but he's also smart enough to like conserve his momentum so he can, you know, like sort of dig the drive a bit and then still get back out to the corner and contest the shot. So that's why they trust him to do that. His wingspan is also um, (laughs) much more than, than Anthony Lamb. So like the contest is going to be better (laughs) than yours, even if you do get back over there. But like, it's even, it's even the purpose, you know, where like Draymond, has some possessions where, you know, he's stationed sort of in between the rim and the corner and the driver comes in and he just takes two steps inwards, knowing that's going to trigger the pass back out to the corner, but he's already anticipated that. So he's already going back out to the corner because he knows exactly what he did. Exactly. Lamb, Lamb does not do that. He's just running in to stop the driver and then the pass gets made and he's like, Oh shit, I got to go back out to the corner. And it's, and Yeah, exactly. And I think you've seen, like, he can have some solid on-ball defensive reps, but I think that's the thing that, that, that's the thing that I think points more to the, the, the state of this roster right now is the mistakes that he makes would get him pulled by Steve Kerr so quickly if they had any other option. Like, Kerr must just be so fed up watching him take unnecessary fouls, like make bad turnovers, like the same things that got Moses Moody benched and have kept him benched for a long time. But Moses can't, you know, play a small ball four. So here they are. Even as egregious as his, I don't feel like they are. No, I don't think they are as egregious. You know, he's still a sophomore player. You know, he makes mistakes and, you know, I understand when people say, hey, like Lamb's not, you know, that much older than him. Um, but it, it just comes down to the position. Like if you switched it and, you know, Moses was like six foot seven and can kind of play the four, he'd be getting all the minutes. It's purely just Positional. what is happening with this roster and the depth. 
I would prefer Kerr than use PBJ. Then I, I really would. I, mm-hmm. I just I I cannot get it with Anthony Lamb. And I say that because I don't think PBJ's mistakes would be any worse than Lamb's. And at least you have like an actual legit shooter because I think Lamb shooting is fake. I think you have a legit shooter. You have a bigger body. I just I I I detest this 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 player being on the team. Um and so like I think one of the important things though just to like wrap up this Lamb conversation because it's more than I want to talk about him. Um so when people are just like but you know he's doing all this other stuff on offense, right? Cuz I've heard people brought up like Jordan Poole and I'm I'm just floored because it's like Anthony Lamb is in no way giving you what what Jordan is like from an offensive standpoint so please let's stop that and when I always say he's going to give up anything he gives you on offense because it's like between the fouls and the negative plays like many times when he comes on the floor the other team goes on runs right so that like that's what it is it's like all of his mistakes even if you don't always see it in the form of oh he fouled someone it's because of all the defensive mistakes he makes, that other team can like just go on a run and get back in the game. And that has a lot to do with him being out there on the court. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up PBJ, too, because I think, you know, when you look at a guy like him, uh, especially when you're almost always playing the four, um, you know, his job is not to like contain guys. Like he can, he can do some pretty solid, like, all right, I've got the mismatch. Um, this guard's trying to take me to the hoop, but I know where my help is. So I'm just going to like steer him the right direction. And that's the right play. You know, like it's not his job to shut people down. It's his job to not get killed when he's switching. And when he's off the ball, you know, he's able to make some impact rotations. Like he can come over and block shots. He can, get himself in the passing lanes, uh, especially with the G League team. He's shown himself to be like a pretty impact rebounder for a four. So I think when you look at that, um, the value of a guy who plays within himself and knows what he is, but is still able to make some impact because he can provide a couple rotations and, you know, finish off possessions, which is something that this team has struggled with all year. Yeah. I think that's a, there's, there's a lot of value there, like defensively. And oh, then on the offensive end of the guy. floor. Coach's son. High IQ player. Yeah. Coach's son, like you said, like he's, he's really smart. Um, I think, you know, you've, you've probably seen it being around the team. Like he's such a quiet, determined guy. <laughs> like uh, it really cracked me up last night. Like I think it was the, I don't know if I've ever seen him tweet before. Um, yes, but it was, yeah, it was, Andre even commented. I don't know if you saw Andre's reply to him. He's yeah. Like, it was a great tweet complimenting Ty Jerome for his floaters. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think he's got that quiet determination then on the offensive floor. You know, like one of the, one of the things that does consistently work when they try to like run things with, with Lamb is 
when you have like guards set those pin in screens in the corner and you can just get a wide open corner three because you know they're usually assuming oh the ball's going to go to Steph or right. to pool so they cut inside they set a quick screen he shoots the three that exact play could be run so well for Patrick Baldwin Jr. exactly and that's the only thing yeah. I'm, that's probably what he's best at just that catch and shoot three in the corner um because anytime he attempts to like create for himself <laughs> or, or take someone like one-on-one like I'm just like what are you doing right now this is it and it always ends in disaster like like 90% of the time uh, um, yeah well well with guys like him too I think what's important is you know he's not going to be the guy where they're like yeah you know Pat run this pick and roll like Pat take this guy in isolation but when you're that good of a shooter you need to be able to identify like how to attack a certain closeout and either when you force like a tight closeout or some guy goes way over a screen or you have the really long closeouts, you need to pick those spots to like get downhill. And he's got, he, he's got good touch. So he can, you know, he can attack the tilted defense. Like he can take advantage of rotations and that's the guy they need him to be. So that's. And my point is more that he would be smart enough to know not to do those things. Right. It's, it's not even a yeah. matter of like, does he have the ability, to, but it's like, he'll know, like, I should not try to do this. <laughs> and, like, that, that's right. where your IQ matters so much. And, well, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I'm trying not to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's so cool, too, seeing the IQ out of a rookie. Like, he's a young yeah. guy, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to say he's sort of played himself into being one of the prospects that they feel better about. Um, you know, I think we've seen Jordan Poole, like they've paid him. He's going to be here. Jonathan Kaminga, we know he brings some unreal defense and he's really starting to find sort of his groove offensively. But Baldwin just looks like a guy that they could really, really use. And especially considering the state of this roster, you know, I don't want to delve too deep into however yeah. many timelines there may be, but when things are like when this roster is so expensive and, you know, unless you make some really poor decisions in the off season, it's going to stay that way. Yeah. So you need guys who are not only like controllable, but cheap. Yeah. So if you're looking at Patrick Baldwin and you're like, Hey, he can contribute down the stretch. And then for the next three years, we're still able to have him on the roster for like a pretty reasonable rate. That's that's something you really need to explore because you know, even if, even if you think lamb can offer some of the same things he does, lamb is on a two way. He's not signed for next year and you didn't just draft him in the first round. So I think there's some sort of impetus to see what you have in PBJ right now, as opposed to waiting and seeing, okay, let's, you know, kind of yo-yo him around the G league and then we'll see if he can compete for a spot next year. Like, no, I think you got to let him roll now and, you know, give him 10, 12 minutes a night. I was going to say, I would like to see him continue to get spot minutes throughout the rest of this season. And, um, you know, just speaking of people, like the reason why, like I, my, my ears, I mean, I'm listening to, but like they really perked up when you said like, you kind of showed, you know, because I felt like Moses Moody showed that last year. And I felt like there was so much more excitement around him. Um, 
and I don't just mean from fans, but I mean also from like the organization. And it just fe- it just feels like he's taken a step back this year. And I don't think he's lost his ability, but I don't. I don't, you know, Justin and I talk about this often. I worry about how much like this has now gotten into his psyche because when he's out there playing, yeah, it looks like he's playing not to make a mistake, you know, and like you would have loved to see last night be the type of game where like he steps up and shows a little bit more what he was could do. Um, and it just didn't happen. And I just I just worry because I do think he is a talent. Yeah, I think the thing too is uh uh one of my favorite terms that comes from all the draft people have uh interacted with is academy brain like they talk about guys who come out of you know moses was at montverde like he was at one of the top schools uh going into his time at arkansas but so many of the guys that go through those academies um they're conditioned to make the right pass but not always the risky one and so you see guys like him sort of be a little conservative with their playmaking and then I think you saw when he actually tried to like play a little outside of it, you know, it was struggles. Like he was making bad turnovers, but this team couldn't afford to let him play out those mistakes. And I think he's, he's sort of where the rubber meets the road with this whole two timelines thing, because I think him more than anyone just needs to be out there playing through those mistakes and that's how his development would work. But at the same time, you know, can Golden State go out and give him 15, 20 minutes a night to play through these things and see if there's a player in there? Because. Well, then send him back to the G League, too. I mean, I'm not even trying right. to be funny because at this point, he's just sitting on the bench, you know? And how is that helping him? Yeah, I think that, or, you know, I think it makes him a really obvious. Him. Trade candidate, yeah. I don't, I don't want to trade Moses Moody. I don't, but it's just like you're really hurting his growth. I do. I feel that. I feel bad for him. Yeah, I do too because, you know, you want to see a guy like him out there having some of a leash and, you know, being able to do all these things. But, you know, at the same time, what we've seen so far and, you know, the reason why I brought up what PBJ does where it's like, hey, he can make a lot of shots. He can maybe attack a closeout now and then. He can get you some boards. Um. Moses is kind of in that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, where like the shooting's good at times, but sometimes it's not there. And, you know, he can kind of make some plays, but, you know, it's a little here and there. He's not a huge impact rebounder. Um, The defense is, it's a little tough, you know, because he's a little too slow footed to deal with those quicker guards. Um, And, I think figuring out, you know, how to play up defensively, like especially on bigger wings is something that takes time. And that just comes back to, they don't have the time to give him. And like, that's not, that's not a huge knock on Moses. And I don't think it's a huge knock on the coaching staff either, because, you know, if you're Steve Kerr, there are only so many sort of like variables that you want on a given night. So if you're like thinking, I don't really know what we're going to get from Moses tonight. If we play him, then I understand why he's, you know, been sitting on the bench and that goes back to, yeah, like find a trade for him where you can bring in someone you can trust to contribute right now and maybe for the future or, you know, put him in the G league a little bit, let him get some confidence back, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, So 
that's you know that's sort of where I set out from him. Like I like him as a player. I think he's got a future in the league, but I just don't know that Golden State has the sort of opportunity to give him right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's a good time to break, but before we do, um, just any anyone else that you think needs to be shouted out from last night? We talked about Loon a little bit and what he did in the game. Um, we got into great detail on Jordan and Tide. Um, and we even spoke about Lamb, not to praise him, but I know people will still think he did a lot last night. So we got to that. Jermichael Green, thoughts on him last night? I mean, he showed... You know, he can still he can still hit a three now and then. He can impact the glass. Um, I like his cutting. Like, that's sort of the one thing that I think really works in this offense is he's really good at finding those soft spots in the defense, um, getting behind into, like, the dunker spot or, you know, moving baseline out of the corners. Uh, I love seeing that. And Dante DiVincenzo as well. He's There's not he, enough he, about him. Yeah, no, he really, he really impacted, um, especially in that third quarter. Like, I wanted to bring that up, too. Like, I think they were up five at halftime, and Dante was a huge catalyst where um, I wanted to look back and check because I was like, I'm not sure if it was, like, this crazy. But uh, the first 11 possessions of the second half, Warriors go three for three on twos, five of six on threes, and they only turned it over once. Oh, my God. And Cleveland – Cleveland turned it over four times in those first 11 because of Dante. Like he was everywhere. He was just harassing Darius Garland. Like he was breaking things up in the passing lane. Yeah. He got out in transition too. And he's just the kind of player they need, you know, someone who really holds up at the point of attack uh, can make some real impact defensive plays. His shot looks great. He can do some playmaking stuff. So Man, like that, that was really just such a great pickup they made. And, you know, as much as people have harped on the ones that got away in free agency, like they really nailed that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that conversation. Anyway, um, <laughs> Kaminga, um, like, was he was solid, um, looked like someone coming back from injury, but you, you definitely, Kaminga to me is like he belongs in the playoff rotation. He's like that eighth guy. So um, I don't really have much on him. I did want to just go back to Jermichael, though, really quickly. Um, I've been sort of out on Jermichael, and I'm not saying like last night made me like a believer in him, but I did think that was one of the other reasons. I don't think I said this specifically why I thought the Warriors could win this game because I, I felt like it was like a lot of the younger guys – but it also was enough, like, more veteran players, if you consider Dante that, and Jamichael, um, where the Cavs are good, but they're still young. Like, they're, they're still mm-hmm. – they're, they're not yet at that pinnacle of, like, you know, like, Darius Garland's a great young guard, but he still has things. So, like, Jamichael Green has enough, like, experience that he could take advantage of that, I think, in a way that – maybe he wouldn't be able to against the more experienced team. So I think it, it, it boded well for them that the second night of the back-to-back, if it was going to be a team, was a team that was sort of struggling and younger, where, like, you can still maybe take advantage of some things that they're just not as great at yet. Yeah, for sure. You you love to have a veteran guy in when you're playing those teams that, you know, Cleveland is so loaded on talent. 
But like you said, you know, so many of their players are really coming into their own. And especially with Donovan Mitchell out, you know, he's still, I don't know, 26, 25. I don't know how old anyone is anymore, but uh, he's so consistent. And so when you take that out of the lineup, like this team, they struggled to find that identity and the Warriors found it right away. So that that's really what won them the game is having that experience and having an exact plan for what they were going to do. And they didn't panic when Cleveland made their runs. So yeah, it was, it was huge having a guy like that in, you know, I'm not, it's going to take a lot for me to be fully back in on him as like a potential yeah, contributor, but yeah. <laughs> but he yeah. did what he needed to do last night. And if he keeps doing that, then maybe he could get me back on his side, but I'm not there either. <laughs> Look, Charlie and I agree on a lot. Um, You're tuned into Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original podcast. It's Charlie. Charlie Cummings. (laughs) And Nat. We'll be right back. (laughs) 